Brother Zach, thank you very much for leading our singing this evening. It's just great to sing. I tell you, I, I've mentioned this uh, probably every service, but singing is just a part of the worship that just builds you up uh, and encourages you. I was invited by the Speaker of the House of Representatives in the state of Georgia uh, back in 1425, I don't know. Uh, at any rate, uh, Tom Murphy, uh, at that time, had been, was the longest Speaker of the House in any of the 50 states. Uh, and he invited me to give the opening uh, remarks for the legislature in 1998. And in his introduction... Uh, I thought this was kind of interesting. In his introduction, he said, Now you know that I am not a member of the Church of Christ. I think I don't I think he was a Baptist, I'm not sure. He said, But you know I'm not a member of the Church of Christ. But he said, If you want to hear good singing, he said, You need to attend the Church of Christ. They don't use instruments and they just sing. And I thought what a compliment that was to our brethren and to the brotherhood. Uh, that he recognized that. And uh, I believe when Jesus, uh, you know, when he walked upon this earth and he tried to encourage and teach and do all of the work which he did, and the Bible teaches us when he left this earth and gave us his word and we have the worship uh, of the kingdom, he included in that singing. And I think how wonderful it is. Thank you, Zach. Great job. And song leaders done a great job all week. Uh, Thank you very much. What a joy it is for Janet and I to have been with you this week. Uh, Thank you again for the invitation that you extended to us. Uh, It's just been great. We've loved every minute of it. Uh, Now, Brother Rick, I know you've been preaching several years, but now, uh, you know, it used to be that a meeting was, the success of a meeting was determined by responses. Now, it is by the amount of weight the preacher gains while he's there. Uh, this has been a 25-pounder, I'm telling you. Uh, thank you, Brother Rick, Sister Nicole, for your invitation to be in your home this evening. Uh, Brother Ron, thank you so much. Uh, Brother Ron uh, provided our meal last night. Uh, Sandra and Effie uh, provided on uh, Monday evening, and Greg and Holly did on Sunday night. And uh, I'm going to stay over tomorrow night if any of you want to take us out. <laughs> No, no, we're going home tomorrow afternoon. But at any rate, uh, we really appreciate the invitation that you have given to us. We love you dearly. I love the White Oak Church of Christ. Uh, And everybody knows about White Oak because everywhere I go, uh, it has been such a tremendous example uh, for preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and encouraging uh, gospel preachers. And I, I want to continue, I want you to continue to do that. Uh, Brother Rick, thank you so much for the work you're doing here. I, I of course, I search out that bulletin and I read it. Uh, he is an excellent writer. Uh, I'm not that good of a writer, and so I just steal from him and uh, really appreciate the great work that he is doing in that area because uh, I know that you love and appreciate him. Uh, I know that he is a fine gospel preacher and he and his family, uh, and I know he's a blessing to you as you are to him. And uh, just, Rick, just keep up the great work, brother. Love and appreciate you. And, and I want to invite all of you to come to Lithia Springs. Now, Lithia Springs is on the west side of Atlanta. Uh, if you go out Interstate 20, uh, exit number 41, one half mile off of Interstate, 
uh, is where we are located. And so we would be delighted to have you. I tell folks, I've told some of these folks this evening, uh, we are the nearest congregation to Six Flags. So uh, if you bring a group down to Six Flags and worship with us, last year uh, we had, and now these are just the folks who signed the card, and they represented more than one or two individuals, maybe a whole family. But last year we had 437 visitors' cards signed uh, last year. Uh, now there are a lot of folks who don't sign cards. Uh, but we do have a lot of visitors at Lithia Springs, and we want you to know that uh, we would be delighted to have you visit with us anytime. Thank you for the wonderful accommodations. We have been comfortable. Uh, it's just been a great joy to be with you, and I trust that as we study the Bible together, uh, that it'll be a source of strength and encouragement to you, uh, that it will build you up in the most holy faith. Uh, Paul said, I commend you to God in the word of His grace, which is able to build you up. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that's what the Bible does. When you and I read and study and obey the Word of God, it builds us up, it strengthens us. Finally, my brethren, Paul said in Ephesians 6, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. In the book of 2 Peter chapter number 1, the Bible says, and besides this, giving all diligence add to your faith and to virtue, knowledge and temperance and brotherly kindness and brotherly kindness love, he said, if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off. Moreover, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, and I'm sure that you will do that. You know, sometimes you and I may say something, uh, and it doesn't always come out the way we are expecting. Now, I don't know, uh, I remember the preacher one time, uh, he was going home from the services, and his mother, or excuse me, his wife asked him, said, uh, what, what did you preach on today? And he said, well, uh, I preached on Samson. Well, she asked him again. She said, now, tell me again, what did you preach on? He said, I preached on Samson. And she said, well, why did you keep calling him Tarzan then? And so, you know, uh, but I thought, I, 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 I thought about the old boy was out on the west coast on the beach and a, a, a bottle had washed up on the beach, you know, and, and he, uh, he got there, he was taking his hand and rubbing the dust off of that bottle. Well, a genie came out of that thing. And she said to him, I will grant you any wish that you would like. He said, I want to be indispensable and desirable to every woman. She turned him into a credit card. And so, you know, you want to make sure that everything you like it ought to be. David in the Psalms. If you have a copy of the Bible, turn to the Psalm 119. And you look at the 119th Psalm. And I want you to skip down to the 160th verse. Listen to what the Bible says. The Bible says, Thy word is true from the beginning. And then he goes ahead and says, Every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. He said, Thy word is true from the beginning. Now, actually what he is saying there, he, he really is saying that the sum of thy word is true. That when you look at the summation of the word of God, then you and I are looking at truth. In the book of John, chapter number 14, you're familiar with this. You remember that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No man cometh unto the Father but by me. In the book of John chapter number 17 and verse number 17, the Bible says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. I'm sure that if we took a survey of this assembly this evening, and we asked folks, well, give us, a, give us at least one passage that you know about truth. And I'm sure many of you would put John 8 in verse number 32. Uh, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You and I recognize that we can depend upon the truth of God. In the book of Hebrews chapter number 10, the Bible says that He is faithful who promised. And so when you and I look at the words of this psalmist in Psalm 119, verse number 160, and he said, Thy word is truth from the beginning. And you and I understand, if you and I can recognize that the word of God, which is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto every good work, if we can recognize, ladies and gentlemen, it does not matter what is going on in your life. The Word of God will address it and help us to live faithful until the day that we die. And so when the Bible tells us, Thy Word is true from the beginning, that's kind of interesting. You and I look at that word beginning. Remember, Genesis 1, verse number 1. The Bible says, In the beginning, the heavens were created by God. In the beginning, God created the heavens, and the earth. I like the passage in Mark chapter number 1, in verse number 1, and the Bible talks about the beginning of the gospel. When you and I look at the book of John, chapter number 1, the Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. We see again that word in the beginning. If you go back to the book of Matthew chapter number 19, you remember, they, they said, now, uh, Lord, we, we want to know about giving a writing of divorcement. Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And if you remember our Lord in answer to that question, he said, they said, now, Mo, Moses allowed us to give a writing of divorcement. Our Lord said, in the beginning, that was not God's plan. So when you and I look at that statement that the psalmist makes in 119, in Psalm 119, verse number 160, and the Bible says, Thy word is true from the beginning. It is the sum of all things. Ladies and gentlemen, when you and I recognize that, we do not have to have something else to go along with the word. You've heard this before. Someone says, if you have something uh, more than the Bible, you have too much. If you have something less than the Bible, you do not have enough. And then if you just have the Bible, that's all you need. And so you and I recognize that all we need to help us to go to heaven, to help us to live a righteous life, is the Holy Word of God. And so as we look at that, there are three things tonight that I want you to look at with me uh, as we look at thy word is truth from the beginning. Number one is this. You and I must love it. We must love this book, folks. The Bible tells Second Timothy chapter number 4. You remember what Paul writes to this young preacher? And he said to Timothy, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. 
For the time will come when men will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They shall turn their ears and be turned to fables. They're going to turn their ears from the truth and they're going to be turned to fables. When you and I look at that passage of Scripture, and I want, you to, I want to break it down for you for just a second. Notice that he said, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. What I am saying to you, you'll give an account of that. Now, not only that, but listen to this. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead of his appearing in his kingdom. And he says, you preach the word, but now I want you to look at this next statement. You be instant in season and out of season. Many, many years ago, Brother Marshall Keeble held a meeting here in Chattanooga. He held a meeting. It was a tent meeting down on 3rd Street, just past where Erlanger Hospital is. Brother Marshall Keeble, he had a, a unique way of saying that. For an example, uh, he said, saying amen to a preacher is like saying sick him to a dog, you know. Uh, and so when Brother Keeble, he would say something, uh, and he, when you look at it, he said, now, you preach the Lord, be instant in season and out of season. Brother Keeper would say, that means to preach it when they like it and when they don't like it. Now, Paul asked the question. He said, do you hate me because I tell you the truth? So many times, I mean, I have known of men, gospel preachers, who have lost their job because they preach the truth. They'll preach on some subject and some family in the congregation, some member of the church, maybe they are the good givers. And so the elders will come to them and say, listen, uh, we, we can't have that kind of preaching here. We, uh, you're just going to have to either tone it down. But you and I, the Bible says you be instant, in season and out of season. Now, I want you to take that word season with me. In these passages, in this passage, 2 Timothy chapter 4, 1 through 4, I want you to look at three things in that pattern. One, we're going to look at seasons, we're going to look at saints, and we're going to look at Satan. Now look at what he said. He said, you be instant in season and out of season. Now folks, listen. I want you to look with me. Now I'm sure I'm not going to cover. There's no way that I would be able tonight to, to look at what you might refer to as every season. But I want you to think about this. We're living in I've got three seasons. We are living in a season of humanism. Somebody says, what do you mean? Well, humanism is simply this idea that whatever man decides, whatever man wants, whatever man thinks is right, that's what we're going to do. See, we're living in this humanistic concept uh, in which humanism is the idea that I will make a decision as to what is right and what is wrong. See, there was a time, you go back 50 years, it is called, there's a couple of names for this, uh, modernism or postmodernism. but I think when you and I look at humanism, in other words, it is what man has made a decision. Paul writes this in Galatians chapter 1 when he said, Now, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you under the grace of Christ unto another gospel. And he also said this. He said, Now, uh, do I seek to please men or God? But when you and I look at this humanism, we look at a humanistic season, we are saying all around us, ladies and gentlemen, day by day, week by week, that whatever man declares to be right, that is what is right. Now, Romans chapter number 1, 
The Bible says the wrath of God is exposed to these individuals. In Colossians 3 and verse number 5, he said the wrath of God uh, are mortified, therefore, these members which are upon this earth. Why? Because of God's wrath, ladies and gentlemen. Romans chapter number 1. They did not choose to do the will of God. See, here's what they did. They made man God. Do you remember what he said in Romans chapter number 1? I, I gave them over to a reprobate mind. I gave them over to unrighteousness. Why? Because they chose to make man God. Basically, it's what he's saying to them. When you and I... I can get out this door quick if I need to, can I, Rick? I don't think from this audience, but from others. When we find in our world today this humanistic idea that homosexuality is right in spite of what Leviticus 18, 19 tells us, when our world says that you must accept this act of homosexuality, and the Bible teaches us in 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, and Paul said, such were some of you, but now it is becoming against the law in some places, for you or I to even try to tell someone who is involved in this sexual uh, perversion that it is wrong and try to get them out of it. It is against the law in some areas for you and I to do that. That's a humanistic idea. This idea of transgenderism. Let me tell you something, folks. The Bible tells us God made them in the beginning male and female. God may, and I'm going to tell you, you can go put on all the lipstick you want to put on. You can wear the shortest dress you can find. You're still a man, my friend. And I'm telling you, you can do everything. You can let your hair uh, or buzz it off the way you want to. You're still a lady. You're still a woman. And when you and I look, and our world has come up with this humanistic idea, our world has come up not only with a concept of homosexuality and the concept of transgenderism. The world has come up with this idea of uh, same-sex marriage. No, no, it, it's not marriage, folks. It cannot be. Why? Because God made them male and female. He said, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, shall cleave unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. They can get a license in every state they want, but it is still a violation, ladies and gentlemen, of New Testament principles. That is the humanistic idea. Folks living together, they call it cohabitation. I have another name for it. I call it fornication. See, the world says, well, if you look at statistics, the statistics are saying that we're having fewer divorces today than we have ever had. And you know why? Because we're having fewer marriages. And the reason we're having fewer marriages is because individuals are living together outside marriage. And here's an... I've seen this take place in various congregations of the Lord's people. I remember uh, several years ago, there was a couple living in our, in our congregation. And this fellow and this lady were living together. He came to us and he said, I, I, want, I, want to become a, I want to obey the gospel. I want to be a Christian. Well, the elders said to him, here's your choice if you, just, if you want to become a Christian. 
then you've got to move out today. Not next week, not next month. Because you are living in a situation in which fornication is involved. But you see, this is the humanistic idea. He did that and eventually married this lady. The point I'm trying to help you and I see is that when we look at the Word of God and the Bible says be instant in season and out of season, and we're living in a season of humanism in which the humanistic idea is saying you do what you want when you want to do it, my friend, there is going to be a wide awakening in the day of judgment when you and I recognize that it violates the principles of New Testament Christianity. We have gotten to the point, even in our brotherhood, we're afraid to preach on it. Well, now, Brother Acuff, there was a, I didn't know this. I, did, I, I didn't, I just, there was a lady who attended our congregation, and one Sunday she responded and uh, asked for prayers of the church, and we had prayer with her, and she attended for a while. Well, I noticed after a, certain, after a while, I noticed one, she, she was not attending. So I called her up. I said, I've missed you. What, you know, what's going on? What can I do to help you? She said, I'm not coming back. And I said, well, why? She said, because the other Sunday I heard you preach that lesbianism is wrong and I'm a lesbian. Well, my friend, that didn't change the situation. Lesbianism is wrong. And so when you and I see this humanistic idea in our world, in our society, we cannot just simply accept it. Now, do we love those individuals who are... Surely we do. Ladies and gentlemen, the Bible teaches us to love all men. I am just trying to help us tonight to understand that we're living in a season of humanism. Let me give you a second one. We're living in a season of ecumenism. Somebody said, what do you mean, a season of ecumenism? Well, uh, go back to the Old Testament, the book of Daniel. The old King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, you remember that? And he had this dream, and, and he, had this, he made this image, and here's what he said. My friend, this is, I mean, this is classic ecumenism. He said, okay, now everybody, every, everybody bow down to my image. Everybody bow down to my image. You remember those old boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They didn't bow down. He called them in. He said, now we're, we're going to sound, we're, we're going we're to do all this procedure. And now you got, they could have said, did you ever do this when you were a kid? Did you ever, did you ever tell something that wasn't the truth, but you ever cross your fingers like that, you know, and you put your hand back here and, and yeah, oh, I had my fingers crossed. See, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they could have done that. They could have said, now, okay, okay. Now, fellas, I'll tell you what let's do. Let, let, let's cross our fingers and let's put them behind our back. And here's what we'll do. Uh, at the sound of the trumpet and what? We're gonna, yeah, we're going to bow. No, they didn't do that, ladies and gentlemen. They said, we're not, we don't know. Well, I'm going to throw you into the fiery furnace. Oh, well, we better, we better bow. No. We can do, or you can do whatever you choose to do. We are not going to bow down to your image. Now here's what ecumenism is. Ecumenism is, well let's just all bow down to something religious. We will accept denominationalism. I guess I'll finish this meeting about midnight tonight. Either way, let me tell you something folks. 
about four years ago, a preacher in the churches of Christ in the Atlanta area. I mean, this is not something someone told me. I heard this. A preacher of the churches of Christ in the Atlanta area. I don't know if this was some kind of a ministerial association. I don't know what it was. But they had a special service uh, sometime around Easter where they took the seven sayings of the cross. And so what they did is they had seven different speakers cover one of these seven sayings of the cross. One of those speakers was a preacher uh, of the Church of Christ in the Atlanta area. Two of the speakers were women, quotation, preachers. They had instrumental music in the service. This brother gets up, and I question, put a question mark beside the word brother. He gets up, and he said, Oh, this is so wonderful that we can all come here together. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, if Paul had been here and Peter, they'd have thrown up right on the stage. Why? Because that's the spirit of ecumenism. It doesn't matter. Just Let's just all believe in Jesus. There is what is called the core gospel. And their core gospel is simply, well, if we can just all believe... Ecumenism says that it doesn't matter whether or not you're a part of this denomination or that denomination or wherever you are a part of it. It doesn't make any difference because we're all going to heaven. No, no. Ecumenism, ladies and gentlemen, there's one body and one spirit, even as you're calling one hope of your calling. And so when you and I look at this concept of ecumenism, and the Bible says, be instant, in season, and we live in a season of humanism. We live in a season of ecumenism where folks have the idea, well, it just doesn't make any difference uh, just as long as you do something religious. Now let me give you a third one, and that is pessimism. We're living in an age, some of our brethren, bless their heart, they're so pessimistic, they eat a dill pickle for breakfast and drink persimmon juice for lunch, uh, and they, I'm telling you, they're so down in the mouth that they smile, their face would crack. Pessimism. Folks, let me say this to us tonight. You and I have no reason to be pessimistic. You know why? Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I don't know about you folks, but it is a great joy to be a part of the body of Jesus Christ. The blessings that you and I find in serving God, the blessings that you and I find in being a part of, there's no, we were living in Michigan. And uh, I don't know if any of you have ever lived in Michigan, but it gets cold up there in the wintertime. And not only did it get cold, but it gets snowy as well. This was in about October. And I had gone to the, uh, I'd gone to the church that Sunday morning for Bible study. And I was in the, oh man, it was a beautiful day. Sky was blue. And, and the sun was shining, you know. And, and the air was crisp. It wasn't hot and it wasn't cold. And I was in the foyer. Some brother walks in and I said, man, isn't it a great day today? Yeah, but wait till February. Look, brothers and sisters in Christ, do not let pessimism take hold of you. You and I are a part of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so when Paul said, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead that is appearing in His kingdom, the instant in season and out of season. Now, I said I had three words. Seasons. Now watch this. There is the word saint. Now watch what the Bible says. The instant in season and out of season. For the time will come when men will not endure sound doctrine. There are those saints who do not endure today sound doctrine. What they have done I was having a conversation with a lady, it's been two or three years ago, and uh, she said to me, she said, well, Brother Aiken, uh, our elders got together and, and they came back to us and they said, now, we have studied about instrumental music and we have come to the conclusion that there's nothing wrong with having instrumental You come to the conclusion? The elders came to the conclusion? What about what the Bible says, my friend? You see, the Bible says the time will come when men will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust, what are they going to do? Heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. I ran across a statement, and I don't know who made it, and that is that Jesus never had an itch that Satan could scratch. You ever thought about that? The time will come when men will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust, there's where Satan comes in, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves, teachers having itching ears, they shall turn their ears from the truth and shall be turned to fables. When you and I look at what the psalmist said in Psalm 119 verse 160, And the Bible says, Thy Word is true from the beginning. You and I, ladies and gentlemen, need to love the Word of God. Now secondly tonight, not only do we need to love it, but we need to activate it. Now, have you ever, you ever get these credit cards in the mail? Uh, And maybe a renewal of a credit card? And you get it and you open it up and, and they say, now you need to activate this card. No, you simply you call a number, and as a result of that, see, you and I, ladies and gentlemen, have this word. It needs to be activated. Uh, years ago, now y'all, most of y'all are not even old enough to remember this, but years ago, when I was a kid, about seven or eight years old, there was a book about that thick called the Sears and Roebuck Catalog. Now, I... You know, there's a lot of stories been told about Sears Roebuck catalog. But I thought about the preacher went out to visit a family one day, and the mother told the little boy, said, Now, son, go get that dear old book we love to read so well. And he went and brought the Sears and Roebuck catalog, you know. And so, when you and I, we've got this book. And I thought about, I thought about the boy. Uh, he he uh, was at his grandparents' house, and there was a Bible laying on the shelf. And... Uh, and so when he pulled it out, he pulled the Bible out and kind of opened it. There was a flower, uh, you know, with leaf fell out on the floor. And he said, well, there's Adam's suit, you know. And so uh, when you look at activating, you take the Word of God and then you make it active. The Bible says, Hebrews 4, the Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. My friend, listen to this. You and I can have hundreds of, I've got many Bibles. But until I take this book 
and put it into my heart and live it on a daily basis. I must activate it. Now, let me give you four things about this. Number one, and that is we need to pray over it. That's what David said in Psalms 119, verse number 12. He said, Blessed, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. David said, Blessed, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. I don't have time tonight. But if you'd like to know what uh, Solomon would... Solomon gives you advice about how to invest your money. Go to Ecclesiastes chapter number 11. Now, I know you're going to sit up all night long thumbing through that. So what does that mean? No, let me tell you this, folks. We pray over it. But now let me give you a second thing. We ponder it. David said this, Psalm chapter number 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, or sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. In his law doth he meditate day and night. Do you and I take the message of the Bible? We pray over it. And then do we take the message of the Bible and, and the Scriptures, te- search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. And we take the message that is contained in the Bible, and we act it. That's what David said, ladies and gentlemen. David said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. That's the third word tonight, and that's practice it. Now see, when we look at the Bible and we activate it, we activate it by praying over it pondering over it, and then practicing it. See, when you and I look at this book, let me, let me give you some illustrations. In the book of Proverbs 29, verse number 18, the Bible says, where there is no vision, the people perish. If I were preaching on families tonight, and if I were talking to young parents, and I was talking to a mom and dad, we... I, I, oh, I love children. I, I looked out in the, in the back of our, oh, we have a, a broad space in the back of our auditorium, and I'm telling you, you got to step over the kids. There's so many of these little boogers running around there. I mean, they're sweet. I've got 28 grandchildren. I call all the children there my grandchildren, and uh, oh, I mean, they're precious. I go to the hospital. A child is born. I try to tell our mamas and daddies, listen, listen, let me challenge you. God has blessed. The Bible says, blessed that children are heritage of the Lord. Did you hear this ignorant folks on television recently said, well, I, I think we better cut back on our families because of climate change. <laughs> climate change. <laughs> Let me tell you something, folks. In the book of Genesis, the Bible says there's going to be winter, summer, spring, and fall as long as the world stands. So ladies, go ahead and use your hairspray. It ain't going to hurt a thing. I, I try to help these. Listen, here's this precious child. The Bible says children are a heritage of the Lord. Blessed is the man that hath his quiver full. That's a lot of them. I encourage these young parents. This child God has blessed you with. Today, this child has been born. It may be the second day of the child's birth. I asked that parent, I said, okay, or tell, I make the suggestion. Let me put it that way. 
Where do you want that child to be when he's 18, 19, 20 years old? God has given you a blessing. The Bible says where there is no vision, the people perish. What is your vision for that child that God has blessed you? Well, I, 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 I just, I'm a, huh? Do you have a vision for that child? Do you have something in mind? Where do you want that child to be when he's 15? Where do you want that child to be when he's 10 years old? Listen, ladies and gentlemen, you have a child, and if that child is not developing, and that child is 7 or 8 or 9 or 10 years old, and that child hasn't developed, you're going to say, something's wrong. We've got to do something. When our children, Now, I know they're free moral agents. I understand that. But where there is no vision. Now, let me ask us this as children of God as well. What is our vision in Christianity? Do we have a vision? Many years ago, there was a fellow by the name of Monty Roberts. Monty Roberts uh, was about 11 years old. Maybe somewhere in... Maybe middle school, I'm not sure. At any rate, his dad was an itinerant horseshoer. I mean, there's probably another name for it. And, but he worked for, he would work in different uh, horse stables, uh, taking care of horses and shoeing them and various things. But he loved horses, he loved the farming. And the teacher where he was in school said to all of the students, I want you to write me a, a paper uh, on where you want to be in several years. How, how would you like for your life to be? How, I want you to, to just write me a paper uh, on, on how you envision your life. Well, he wrote a paper. Not only did he write the paper, but he had a diagram. He said, I'm going to own a 200-acre farm. I'm going to have this building over here for horses. I'm going to have this house over here. It'll be 4,000 square feet. I'm going to have this building. And, and he had every bit of it laid out, wrote the paper, gave it to his teacher. When the paper was graded and he handed it back to the student, the teacher had put a great big red F on it. Monty Roberts went to the teacher and he said, Why? Why did you give me an F? The teacher said, Well, look, Monty, that is not realistic for you. Your dad is an itinerant horseshoer. You live from farm to farm. You may be here today and somewhere else tomorrow. And it's just not, it's just not realistic for you. He said, you rewrite it and bring it back and I'll change the grade. So Monty Roberts took it home, showed it to his dad. And he said, Dad, what do you think I ought to do? His dad said, Son, I can't tell you what to do. You're just going to have to make the decision yourself. After three or four days, Monty Roberts took that paper back to the teacher. And he said to the teacher, here's my paper. You can give me my F. I'll take it. Go down about 20 years later, maybe 25. This teacher one day is standing in a, in a room with students in the room that he had brought out to the farm that belonged to Monty Roberts. And up over the mantel, that elf, that paper that he had written, was framed and hanging over the fireplace. 
That teacher called him aside and he said, I'm sorry. He said, I was a dream stealer. Ladies and gentlemen, when you and I take this book and we put it into practice as individuals, when you and I put it into practice as congregations, now let me give you a second thing. And that here's another one. If you're going to put this into practice, let me encourage you to practice the and then some philosophy. There was a fellow out in West Texas. He was interviewed uh, by a newspaper. He was very successful. And the local paper interviewed him. And the reporter asked him, said, what do you attribute your success? He said, well, I attribute it to three words. And they said, what's that? He said, and then some. And they said, what do you mean? He said, well, when I was a child and my parents asked me to do a a chore, I always did the chore and then some. He said, when I was in high school and the teachers asked me to do an assignment, he said, I always did the assignment and then some. He said, when I got out of college and I went to work for this company, he said, they required me to be there at 8 o'clock. I got there at 7. They required me to leave at 5 or uh, uh, to work till 5. I left at 6. And then some. And he said, when I started my own business, I made the decision that I would give my customer what they wanted and what they needed, and then some. Ladies and gentlemen, that's activating this book. When you and I live that kind of life. Let me give you a third illustration. And that is, there is a book out. I don't know, you probably buy it on a used, it's a used book. I don't, it's been out 40 years called uh, try giving yourself away. David Dunn wrote a book called Try Giving Yourself Away. Basically what he was saying in that book is give yourself to others. One of the examples at that time, that I still have the book, the one I bought originally, uh, stamps were five cents. I don't know, what are they now, 50 cents a, a stamp? Let me tell you about a lady. There's a, a fellow up in, uh, his name is Jerry Hill. Jerry Hill uh, there is a, it's called the Timothy Hill Boys for Ranch in Long Island, New York. Jerry Hill was holding a meeting for us uh, at the Allen Park Church several years ago. He had a son, 16 years old, uh, Timothy Hill. Timothy one day was going to school, riding his bike, and he went down a hill and was hit by an automobile and was killed. His mother later wrote a book entitled Graduation to Glory. Uh, but at any rate, uh, Jerry held a meeting for us at the Allen Park Church, about two weeks after the meeting, he called me. And he said, "Uh, Larry, who is Clara Hall? And I said, well, Jerry, if you'll remember, sitting about halfway down the aisle in a wheelchair was a lady. He said, yeah, I remember. I said, that's Clara Hall. I said, why? He said, well, he said, do you remember I told the story about taking a group of boys into New York City to go to a Yankees game, and we'd gone in to eat, and as we came out, we were mugged. They took all of our money and all of our tickets, and uh, I said, yeah. He said, well, Clara Hall sent me a card, and in that card was a check for enough money to buy tickets to a Yankees game and take the boys out for a meal. Now, you might not be sending checks out. Let me tell you about Clara Hall. I baptized her in a bathtub. She, she, she couldn't get to the church building unless someone went and got her. And I, I, it, the day I went out to her house, the snow was on the ground, maybe about ankle deep, I don't know. But she couldn't get out, and we baptized her in the bathtub. But here's the thing about Clara Hall. She gave herself away. 
There was not a member of that church. There was not an elder of that church. There was not a preacher in that. There was no one who had not received encouraging words with a card from Clara Hall. Ladies and gentlemen, she couldn't teach a class. She never had a home Bible study. But it's amazing at the number of people she encouraged. Try giving yourself away. You see, we need to practice this Christianity. You remember Winston Churchill? You probably heard this. Winston Churchill was going to speak at a boys' school. And the headmaster of the school said to the students, we've got Sir Winston Churchill coming to speak. Now you boys take your pencils and your books or your paper and you're going to want to take down every note you can take down. Sir Winston Churchill arrived, got up before those boys, and here's what he said. You've heard it, I'm sure. With that deep, guttural voice. Never Never, never, never give up. And he sat down. That's what Jesus said. He that endureth to the end shall be saved. If we're going to activate the Word of God, we pray over it, we ponder over it, we practice it, and we preach it. The Bible says it pleased God that the foolishness of preaching should save them that believe. We take this word, thy word is true from the beginning. We love it, we activate it, and lastly, we defend it, folks. In Matthew 7, 13 through 23, you remember what Jesus said? Enter ye in the straight gate, wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. Many there be that go in thereat, straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leads to life. Few there be that find it. And then he points this out. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns and figs of thistles? And he said, Can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit? Can a good tree bring forth evil fruit? Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. But now listen to these words. Not every man that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he which doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, many will come to him that day. And they'll say, Lord, did we not prophesy in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils. And in thy name do many wonderful works. And I shall profess unto them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to stand. We need to make a decision. Because there is danger lurking about those who will teach a false doctrine who will divide the church, who will be deceptive, who will bring damnation upon themselves. Tonight, thy word is true from the beginning. If you're not a Christian, you need to obey the gospel. If you have never named the name of Christ in confession, the Bible teaches us very clearly and very plainly. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. My friend, listen there may see the devil's going to convince you. He's going to try. To, oh, you you got plenty of time. You don't need to worry about that tonight. What a great tool! What a great tool! I've heard I I've heard folks say, "Well, now, brother Acuff, when I get all straightened out, I'm going to church." Well, they are men of their word because they're as cold as a hammer and straight as a wedge when they go. They waited too long. Don't wait too long. By faith, change your life by repentance. Confess His name before this assembly tonight. Be baptized into Christ for the remission of sin. Have you been playing church? Have you just said, well, Brother Acuff, I've just lost my zeal and my enthusiasm. I just don't care anymore. No, 
Surely that wouldn't be any of you, but if we can encourage you and pray with you and for you tonight, will you do it and come right now while we stand and sing the invitation song?